Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information. So you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. And we're live, and I am excited for this one. There's so much to talk about. My guest today is fantastic. She is a writing mentor. She's a specialist in this area of content marketing and the written word. The whole point here, the whole point of this episode, we want to have more impact with our writing. We want to grow authority. We want to build our businesses through writing. Uh, highly awarded. She's honored for her her, her written skills, her literary abilities, even some poetry is going to come up <laughs> and how it all mixes into revenue generation. And honestly, the myth she's going to smash, I, I'm claiming it right now. She is a marketing voice of reason. She <laughs> is a truth sayer and a myth slayer, everyone. Founder and writing mentor at Radiant Media Labs, Deborah Ager. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Yes, I, th there's so much to talk about. There's so much to learn from you. I know we're going to smash some things. Uh, it's our marketing leadership series, talking to uh, senior level marketers, experienced marketers, learning their strategies and what kind of magic they, they, they put in, they sprinkle into their, their marketing and their writing. So I want to pass you, it's an imaginary hammer because the real one's back in the office. And it's an imaginary Thor's hammer. So go ahead and take that. And um, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, uh, misconception that kind of just drives you crazy. I want to set the record straight. All right. Let's smash things, everybody. This is fun. So one of the things that I, that I see out there still is that sometimes different teams are, even within the marketing department, are not talking to each other. And they're not incentivized to work together because they have different goals. So you might have team one who reports to person one and they have to do what person one wants them to do. But you might have team two reporting to person two and person two wants them to do something different. But really it's 
but really the overall marketing department has some goals, but these two teams are not working together as effectively as they could because their performance reviews and their overall goals are not interlocked. So there's not a lot of reason for them or incentive for them to be able to move forward together. Jeez, uh, it's not—it's on the same team, two people, right? So it's like, uh, you're all on the marketing team, but you're right. If we've got different goals internally, we're not all marching the same beat. I, I mean, what kind of examples have you seen? Is it like content versus PPC or what kind of groups have you seen be the most disjointed? I've seen sometimes with content where content is sprinkled all around, all over the organization without a cohesive strategy because people might not as a, the culture of the organization might not understand the importance of content. And when you, you will see when organizations do understand how well content can work and they make that the centerpiece of yeah. their marketing, how well it works. We have many examples of that working really well. So that is just, that's one place where I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. And I imagine like PPC and SEO as well, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they're not aligned, if they're not even on the same page or they're not even next to each other they can't benefit from all the lessons learned and definitely definitely so ppc and seo for anyone who's worked in those areas you know how well that getting and exchanging that keyword information that keyword research and even doing some cross some cross platform so to speak tests can work really well in order to give a boost to both programs and if the teams are operating in completely different departments then that can be really difficult for the organization. Although the organization might not even view it as difficult, they might not even see it as an issue, but it really can cause an issue in terms of productivity and even in terms of the revenue that they're able to generate as an organization. Right, right. Maybe let's break that down for a second though. What, What value, if you put SEO and PPC next to each other, what, what can they share that helps them out? How, how do they work best together? Yeah, I think, well, one of the things that I've done in the past is to share back and forth some of the data around keywords. So what keywords are turning into conversions? What keywords are drawing people in in the first place? What keywords maybe just need to be shed so that you're not spending money on them? If you know if people aren't clicking on them in a, in a way you're not spending money, but you can also optimize your whole campaign so that you're not wasting time having your ads show there. And then also just helping The information can also flow from PPC to SEO, where you can see, hey, we bought these keywords. If they're working really well, does it make sense to try to rank for them? Does it make sense to put the SEO team's time into ranking for these keywords that are actually going to generate revenue? Even if you use a keyword tool, there's not really any proof that it's going to make your particular organization a sale until you actually test it and sort of see what's going out there. Well, there might be. There's some ways that you can make guesstimates of it, but you don't really know 100% until you go out there and you do it. So in a way, the PPC, by spending a little money there, can pressure test that for you so that you know it can be worth the time and effort to try to rank organically for it. Absolutely, that makes total sense. So it's the the keyword information that really is the, the value. Yeah, and I guess it was SEO, it takes so long that if you, if you just went off on your own without all the P, PPC information, without the ad, AdWords results, you could be trying to get keywords in that may not actually ever turn into business. You wouldn't even know unless you waited six or nine months for Google to update its algorithm to rank you for number one, only to find out it's the worst traffic ever. Exactly, exactly. And you can learn a lot from, if you're trying to get started in PPC, or sorry, if you're trying to get started in SEO, and you want quicker results, obviously a lot of marketers already know this, but for people who might not know this already, you can use PPC to get ramped up, learn a lot, and then be able to apply those learnings to your SEO program. Since we all know that SEO takes a little bit longer, it's not going to be an overnight an overnight success. It'll take a few months for it to work. Right, right, okay. Well, that makes sense. It's, it's all about having the right goals in mind, even within the marketing team. How do you get everyone in the marketing team to all line up how do you get everyone internally aligned so that they're they have the same goal is there like a magic goal that unites the whole marketing team um well i come from a revenue background so i always think you know woohoo get the whole team lined up around revenue but i know there's other things in life besides that so i but i speak from the experience that i had the most and i think the most important thing is just having people's goals be aligned across different departments 
that everyone understands what's going on. So one example is that I was working on a project. It required landing pages. My team was in charge of pay-per-click and SEO, but we weren't in charge of creating the web pages. The team that was didn't really understand why we needed the web pages the way that we did. So it just wasn't as exciting to them to get this done. They had a lot of other work to do. So in terms of their priorities, it wasn't high on their priority. And then same with IT. So I've worked on many projects where it involved the IT department to make the website, do certain things, to make the landing pages work, to make the tools work that made the conversions happen. And they're also dealing with a lot of other technical issues. And so they have to prioritize those and whatever system they use. And if the IT department, which is not part of marketing, doesn't have similar goals about the revenue, they're not going to prioritize those elements. And then meanwhile, whoever's in charge of the marketing department will be wondering, why aren't you making the numbers? And right. you know, then you have to say, well, this landing page, <laughs> this landing page needs to work a different way. So it's, it's challenging, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even think IT should own landing pages anymore, you know, like get, get it out of their, their mitts, <laughs> get it over to marketing, marketing technology, MarTech, right? It's like right. taking over the planet. There's so much marketing technology these days. I don't know. What, what does IT even do anymore? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they do a lot. Do they? They, you don't want to harsh on the IT people. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of salty on uh, IT, but yeah, I'll yeah. let you, you can, you can sing their praises. Um, <laughs> so you, know, you got to align with IT and then really all this needs to come from the top, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I can't just be like all about revenue, but if the people around me, my coworkers, and if the top level, you know, is not looking at the same stats that I'm putting out there, then it just all falls apart. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And shall we bash another myth? Yeah. yeah. Another... Bash away. Smash, bash. Yeah. Maybe it's not a myth exactly, but this is one about, it's a basic marketing element, but I still see that a lot of companies make this, have this issue where they haven't clearly defined who they're really trying to target or things in the marketplace may have shifted. And sometimes the company or organization hasn't kept up. And I see this at all different sizes of companies. It'll just happen here and there because it's easy to let this slip by, especially if you've been in business a long time. Right. It's really about getting clear about who you're serving. Okay. And then using that information that you can get from the sales team, because the sales team is on the phone with people and digging deep into how customers describe the problems and how prospects describe their problems. How they describe it. What's the magic on that comes from, because I, I get there's a sense there's something there, understanding how people are describing their problems. Yeah, so once you know how they're describing their issues and the kinds of issues they're having, then it becomes a little bit easier to be able to create your content and your copy in a way that will really connect with people and really have them say, these people understand me or how did they know what I was thinking? So when right. people start to say things like that, how did you know what I was thinking? It even helps sales be able to close the sales, let's say if it's a software as a service or you know something else, some kind of software. Anything that's sold by phone or that has a in-person touch, it can be really useful for that person on the phone to know what that, you know, what those kinds of things are that people are talking about, or to have people. It helps people also be more prepared when they do come to talk to your sales team because they know more about what you do, they know how you can serve them, and they know that you understand them. Yeah, I want that. I want that magic. Where do you start with that? How how do you get to sense that sense for? I love how you said it. Who who are you serving? How how do you really distill and get that information? Yeah, I look at it. Um, I'm not a design thinking expert, but I was talking with an architect friend, and she was saying the way this project I was working on. She said basically that's design thinking. So you're huh. building the content you're building the website and you're thinking, how do these two things go together? And you're iterating one, you're creating one and iterating on it as you create the other one and iterate on that. And then they become this cohesive whole. So I feel like it's the same thing with this. It's not a one and done necessarily. It's maybe something that gets reviewed. It really depends on the company, maybe once a year, twice a year, review your client profiles and review what people are hearing on calls so that you always are aware of any kinds of changes in the marketplace that are happening, or maybe the kinds of things that people are asking for or looking for. Um, I keep thinking about software companies because you often, you know, smart software companies keep in touch with their users so that they know what, 
what other features are people looking for? What features are giving people problems? You know, how can we make this product better? So I feel like software companies really lead the pack in terms of really staying in touch with their users and making good use of that information. What's your number one source for, what's your favorite go-to source for, for learning the vocabulary they're using, the questions they're asking and more about the challenges they're facing? Um, when I've done it in the past, we've, we've come up with the questions ourselves based on what people are hearing or based on, um, sometimes if we have recorded sales conversations, we come up with questions based on that. So I don't really have a source. How about you? Do you have a source that you've gone to for that? Um, you're right. You know, like, I think it, I used to just make, make it up. I, a lot of the times I'm really hip in like the idea of customer interviews these days. Mm. You know, I just love the idea of, I think because sometimes we're kind of shy, you know, Mark, I don't know why. I mean, I know we're not salespeople, but like marketing can party sometimes. I mean, just think about <laughs> Dreamforce, you know? So, um, but sometimes we avoid the, the questions and just asking our customers. So I, I'm kind of, I, I love that approach. I mean, it's kind of weird and you gotta, you gotta have some customers to talk to, but um, I like the idea of just asking them and, and every, hanging on every word they say, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but sales, I think, is valuable too for that. And it sounds like, you know, when you're aligning your organization, you're getting everyone on the same page. You're you're getting information. I think you mentioned like, you know, recorded sales calls and and kind of picking their brain. Is that is that something you like to do? Yeah, recording sales calls and then getting transcriptions made. It can be really useful for the content creators and the copywriters to be able to see exactly how people are describing the issues. Yeah. You can even have someone on the team summarize some of the issues so that other teams who aren't focused on writing, but other teams can see what people are saying and what some of the what some of the information is that that users and prospects are sharing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes we, we get the whole sales versus marketing thing, but I you're right. Like there's so much we can learn from the other team, you know, if we just pause for a second and, and just ask them. Uh, and or just listen in or be a fly on the wall that kind of thing yeah definitely you 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 coach a lot of people on writing like what what's the place you go like where do you start when you like people want to be better writers marketing is all about that written word especially email marketers where where do you start is there a place where you you start people when they first start working with you and they're like, I need better content. I need to write better. Like, where do you go? How do you start? Well, the first thing we start with is what you and I were just talking about, which is mastering their market is what I call it. So um, I'm sometimes working with people who are not professional marketers. They may have done some marketing for their business, but it's not what they're specifically trained to do. So, um, so usually there's a need for that. And then with companies too, sometimes you know they need that as well. So basically it's starting with the audience, mastering your market, being really clear on what it is that their concerns are, and then asking some of those questions that are more related to psychographics and how they think about things. But that could- include, So what would that be? Huh? Well, oh yeah. So that, that, yeah. Yeah, that could include um, the kinds of things that they worry about, the kinds of frustrations they're having on a day-to-day ba- basis with tasks that may be related to what you do. And are you asking them that directly or are you inferring that or finding out how do you how do you know what they worry about and how do you get them to tell you that yeah well you can ask them on calls so sometimes what i find again going back to the sales calls that can be really useful asking people what their what their problems are what kind of challenges they're having and doing it one-on-one is more time consuming but i find it can work really well because people build that rapport and that trust in the phone call and they're willing to share more about what it is they're looking for um you can also you can also talk to people who didn't end up buying from you and ask them why they chose someone else and that can help you look for places where you could do better or in some cases you could just say oh okay i can see we don't have what they need that's not something we plan to offer so it makes sense they went somewhere else but in some cases you're going to find you know what if we make this tweak we could have more of those customers and wouldn't that be great they didn't know we did x y and z we just never told them yeah, yeah. I, it happens for me at uh, Cheshire Impact all the time. We do all this Pardot work to talk about Pardot all the time, but we actually do Salesforce as well, um, the CRM side. But for the longest time, I would have people asking me that, and clearly our marketing wasn't telling them that. And so I, we'd have someone say, oh, I, I signed up 
you for you guys with Pardot, somebody else for Salesforce. And I was like, ah, you, we could have done both of those things, um, but we we needed to have that conversation, like you're saying, to be able to discover. They just didn't know we did both, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so first step is mastering the market, understanding your audience, mm -hmm. and then you just whip out the quill pen, and then you just <laughs> get the dab the ink, and then away you go. Or yeah, well, I've done this. I've applied my method in a couple of different ways. One of them is helping um, helping marketing executives and speakers finish their books. So if they wanted to nice. Uh, if they wanted to build their thought leadership and their authority in order to connect with new clients and prospects, then that's something that I would help them do. So I do that through writing. So sometimes the, sometimes the output or the outcome is a book. Sometimes the outcome is learning how to write their own copy better. Um, and so the next part is figuring out what are all the ideas that could, what are all the different kinds of ideas and brainstorming what those are and getting those out on paper. So that's a big part of the next step which is, um, you know, basically getting those ideas out of your head. And we do that part of, that goes back to the audience work, the mastering your market that we do at the beginning, because we're looking at what they're looking for. What is it that they need? And when we go back to that, then that helps give us some of the ideas. Another question right. that I love to ask is, what questions are people asking you? What is it that people are always asking you? You step off the stage, if you're, you know, if you're the head of a company and you're out there doing the business development, you step off the stage. What are people asking you, you know, afterward at the after party? What are they asking you at the Q and A? What are they asking you on phone calls? You know, what kinds yeah. of questions are you even seeing in Google? You know, if you look at Google searches and stuff, what kinds of questions are you seeing there that are related to what you do? So there's all these different ways, all these different ways to be able to get this information so that you can be able to put forth content ideas that really make sense for your company. Right, right. Now I know you're an expert at making sure this writing is not boring. Mm -hmm. So any, any tips or suggestions? Because I gotta tell you, like I, the, the worst marketing content, you know, you spent $30 on a pay-per-click ad and then you have this gross content that doesn't, doesn't know the audience and also it's just boring. It's like, even the term white paper feels boring. So how do you, how do you put some zest into your content? Yeah, oh, that's interesting because I, I just redid my website and my emails. I just labeled the button zesty emails. It's my little test. Zesty, e oh, <laughs> zesty wow. emails. Anyway, I, like that. Um, I write emails that are zesty. So, oh, um, I see it. Yeah, yeah, zesty emails. <laughs> right. Let's do it. So, well, one of the ways is to think about how to take a cliche that people are familiar with and give it a new spin. So like I wrote an email headline that was, you know how there was Game of Thrones? I wrote an email headline that was called uh, something like Game of Sold or I don't know, something like that. But nice. It's basically the idea is to play, take a play on words um, or use a play on words to be able to make something that's old, new again. So in short, make something old, new. <laughs> make something old. I guess that even at the time, you know, Game of Thrones was kind of like hot too. So it, it wasn't like, you know, Battlestar Galactica original edition. You know, it's like something that was kind of out and about, but just kind of a fun pun. So it sounds like you're just having fun with it. You're just, you know, yeah. you're not restricting yourself into some sort of corporate mentality. Right, right. Lines. Yeah. And then I think also think about what other companies are doing and consider if you really need to be doing that. Because I think sometimes companies are a little bit like that animal, the lemming, where they all follow each other. Or uh, when I was a kid, I was on this horse called Copycat. So Copycat always did what the horse in front oh, of it geez. did, which I can tell you was rather terrifying. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, why did you put me on a horse named Copycat? But anyway, so don't be on that horse named Copycat when it comes to your business. Think about what other people are doing and ask yourself if you can do something different. Like when everyone else is sending emails about the same topic, Maybe you send an email about a different topic or you put a spin on it or you acknowledge that maybe the people in your market are sick of having emails about thing X and you're going to talk about thing Z just to give them a break. You know, like having a chuckle with them about this, not to yeah. be mean to the other companies, but you can word it in a way where it's kind of like, hey, we're in on this together. And that way you, you deeply connect with people. Yeah. Like not another COVID email. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I saw um, an ad from the Marketunist. I don't know if you have you heard of him, um, but uh, he does like marketing 
cartoons. And one was how not to address, um, how not to use COVID in your marketing. And they showed this couple at home and someone was like, hey, uh, a brand that I gave my email to nine years ago is checking in to see how we are. You know, it's like completely, it just, all those emails that are coming in. Hey, how's it going? How you, how you doing? It's like, oh, not another one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. Like we, we kind of do the lemming copycat thing sometimes. Well, it, maybe it, it's almost like we assume it worked for the other company, you know, like they did it. We just assume it worked. It could have been their worst email campaign ever, but we're like, oh, well they did one. So we should do one too. Right, right. And also, you know, especially in this world of marketing automation, I'd like to ask you this question and anyone else, is it really something we want to do to send someone uh, to send a thousand people or more an email that says, Hey, how you doing? Can I help? You know, where it sounds like right. it's one-to-one communication and it really isn't. Cause I know that someone did that from an agency that I was managing and I thought, Oh, okay. He's reaching out to me to talk about something. And then I found out two other people in the, you know, mm. they're like, no, no, he's just using that. Just, that just went to everyone. And then my, I, my feeling about it was like, Oh, like my whole feeling went down. I was just like, Oh, it just went out to like a thousand people. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot to be said for the one-to-one contact. And I know some people, it really, uh, big businesses will not be able to do this, but I think to the extent you can, you should think about what are some ways that I can really connect? If I can't do one-on-one, what could I do instead? You mm-hmm. know, or maybe you do one-on-one for certain levels of clients or something like that, but you find your way to make that idea work for your particular business. Right, right. You get the zest that way as opposed to just being being a lemming or boring and just kind of doing the same old, same old. But yeah, it's an interesting yeah. question about abusing the the personalization you know um and sending an email out about that you know i often will do that where i'll i'll send an invite to people to say hey do you want to get a beer at dreamforce and i'll send it to thousands of people but i literally want to get a beer with a thousand people at dreamforce so yeah. i think it's okay mm-hmm. um because i really do i would I would either send it a thousand original emails or I just use a system to do it. But either way, yeah. I do want to hang out, but yeah, it, it's tricky when you add in the whole virus thing and I'm here to help, you know, and right. then you should write back and ask for TP and see if she he sends it. <laughs> and if he doesn't, then you're, then you know, it's, he's a fraud. He's like, no, this is not, this is a bad marketing campaign. If you're not actually going to help me, I did a yeah. webinar earlier today and where the, the joke at the very beginning, people are introducing themselves where they're from, like all the attendees. I'm like, go in the chat, go ahead and say your name, where you're from, or not your name, say where you're from, because their name's already there. Where are you from, and how you doing on toilet paper? Are you good or not? And then people are, and then one person was in like Fayetteville, Georgia, was like, getting a little low on toilet paper, and I was like, well, we should hook them up, you know, like, let's do it. Um, but I hear that uh, Amazon Prime is like out to April 22nd now, so it might Ooh. take a while to uh to send something their way but you're right you don't want to you don't abuse it i I, the way i like to say is like care at scale you know Mm -hmm. like you care and you want to do it it's you want to care for a lot of people as opposed to abusing it and sending out an email that is just so self-serving that it doesn't really everyone just kind of smells it right off the bat yeah yeah i mean an example uh, of an email that i sent out for my business earlier this week instead of mentioning you know the acronym that we're all tired of hearing about at this yes. point in time in history right now. Uh, it, and, you know, COVID for people who are listening to this in the future, instead of sending that out at a time where people are feeling scared and all that kind of thing, I'm not even using that phrase in any of my emails, but instead I did reference toilet paper and I said something like, how was your weekend? And did you spend it counting your toilet paper rolls? You know, but like right. anyone who gets that now, <laughs> that won't be funny in a year, but at least to some people, it might give them a chuckle. And, you know, and then I moved into what I was writing them about, but it kind of like gave a way for us to connect and over a shared concern or issue that we're all experiencing and then move forward into the, the content of the email. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think as long as your heart's there, that even if it's a duplicate or not, as long as you genuinely care, then the result should be something that reflects that, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think that's the magic. I, I know there's a book called Noble Purpose. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's it's sales book though. It's all about, you know, the best salespeople have this noble purpose where they really do just want to help people out, and they make it was they should, 
think it was Lisa um, Earl McLeod, I think is her name. Um, she just followed a bunch of pharmaceutical reps and was able to figure out which ones were actually doing the best. And it was the ones that really cared. They got into a waiting room waiting for a doctor. They're like, I see these patients and I, I, I'm here for them. I want to alleviate their pain. And so when I see the doctor, they, they probably feel that too. Like, oh, we're both on a common mission. I'm not here to sell you some trinket. Like, I really want to help these people out. And it just, it turned into better sales, salesmanship, you know, because you weren't really selling. You're on a, on, a, on a quest. So I think marketing can benefit from that as well. Just if you really care, then you, you don't have to worry too much about abusing, you know, your marketing automation or your email tools or any of that. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that because another one of the steps in my process is is your mission. Yeah, like your mission alignment is what I call it. So, um, so basically, it's mastering your market, mission alignment, and then moving from brain to page. Those are the first three steps. And the mission alignment is really important because we have our personal missions about what we want to accomplish in business and in our yeah. careers. And then there's also the business mission. So how do these two things go together? So you might need to blend the two. You might need to write two out. Um, I have this five day content writing challenge that I teach from time to time. It's just, it's free and it's open to everyone. I teach it a oh, couple yeah. times a year cool. and I call, instead of focusing on the mission statement, I found that there was too much background and backstory and preconceived notions of what a mission statement is. Sure. So I actually changed the name to a focus action statement. And huh. It's basically as simple as a template that I got from a branding expert, but it's, I help customer, um, do or achieve thing with this outcome. So then it's just a very simple formula that people can follow. So mainly I'm teaching this to um, businesses, you know, that have, I don't know, maybe 10 employees, anywhere from that all the way to solopreneurs. So it's quite a, a big mix of people wow. um, who are in there, but everyone can benefit from having a, a focus action statement, a mission statement to be able to help guide them and, you know, into what they're writing about and into why they're doing any of this in the first place. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned the personal aligning to the mission, uh, no, aligning to the company mission, the company focus, is that personal like the marketer themselves or the person right, doing the writing? Or are you talking about like the recipient of it? They have, they have a focus. It would is be it, like, the person personal? writing. Yeah, it would be the marketer, the person who's doing the writing. Okay. Because it's kind of like you were talking about with the pharmaceutical sales rep earlier. Yeah. They're... I mean, sure, they have sales goals, but if they're sure. only thinking about the money, then going back to what you said about Noble Purpose, that book, then that's not really going to be in alignment with the book and with what the author found out about who comprises the most successful salespeople. The most successful salespeople care about people. You probably also care about the money too, but that's not your primary reason for being out there. If it is your primary reason for being out there, people feel that and yeah. it begins to push people away because they're like, eh, you know? Right. So, um, and I say that coming from a revenue background where it was, you know, over my head all the time, make this much money, make it as efficiently as possible. And, you know, I always had to care about the money to a certain extent because I was being told I had to, and because it was my performance, you know, tied to my performance and everything. But at the same time, I deeply cared about the mission of the organizations yeah. I worked for and what the outcome was on the other side. So whether I was working on a healthy eating campaign for the federal government or I was working on something for, you know, a billion dollar nonprofit to help people during disasters. There was always that end point, not yeah. end point, but like the outcome that I was thinking about that kind of, that drove me to be able to uh, want to do my, my best work. You know, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I think we all get that companies have missions and focus, or they should, <laughs> but like having a personal one too. I'm not sure how many of us take the time to just, uh, stop and think what we want out of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good thing to do. What what kind of examples do you do you see people that have those or have to figure that out? What if you don't know? How do you how do you find that? And you, you know, someone's listening. They're a marketer. They're at a company, and the company seems like good people, but they're selling like software, like you were talking about earlier, and feels okay i guess but it's not like it's the peace corps so how do you align your personal like you want to help people but you're at a company that kind of moves ones and zeros around what do you how do you have you seen people figure that part out yeah well i worked on i'm thinking i worked for a federal agency but as part of 
a primarily aerospace company that had a computer IT division. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I was in the computer services division. And so we were building websites for this agency. So how is building websites for this agency really useful? Well, the yeah. agency helped make sure that there was good impartial information out there for people in Congress to be able to make good decisions that weren't oh, cool. based on the party affiliation or anything like that. It was very data-based. So that itself, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but I tied my work into that and to thinking that what I'm doing here is tying into this. And it wasn't my life's mission, which is part yeah. of why I ended up leaving after several years, but it was still something for that time period that I was like, I'm learning a lot. This is going to benefit me in my future career. And I'm also helping people make good decisions about important topics for the government. Yeah. The more brain power we can throw at Washington, the better. And I think that's, that's, that's <laughs> right. a statement everyone can kind of agree with. It doesn't yeah. polarize anyone. We're all like, yeah, yeah, we can, everyone, all of them, they all need it. Um, yeah. So I think also like the, the end result, like the way I think of it in the services side is like, you know, if one of our clients makes sprockets, maybe I don't care about sprockets. If they make chocolate, and we have had a client that makes, sells chocolate, that's easy to wrap your head around because you're, you're, you're helping a lot of people out there. But like we've had some clients that make sprockets and you're like, well, do you really care about sprockets? And, and at Cheshire Impact, our, one of our core values is we care, right? So it's like, well, do we really care about sprockets? And the answer is honestly, probably not, but we do care about the person in, in the marketing role at that company that we're helping out. And so a lot of what we do is we want to see that person succeed and really maybe they get a promotion. That'd be really cool to see them just like their career takes off because they got a little training, a little help from us. So I think sometimes we look, you know, not at the end customer as much as the end customer person, the person is in that, the actual human helping, I think helping people feels the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes those sprockets you talk about may end up having a use you can't even envision. But I know, you're right. Sprockets, then they couldn't, if they had never made the sprockets, they couldn't make sprockets too. And then sprockets too ends up helping people in a way we never could have envisioned. So then by right. helping them at the beginning and helping them be able to make, you know, a healthy company and build and grow business, then it was able to make that later, that later experience or product or service end up happening in a way that benefits more people later on. Right, right. Wouldn't that be fun to follow um, like a dollar around or something? Yeah. You know, from company to company or whatnot. Like, oh, well, you think you're just doing this role over here, but actually you eventually helped out with like a well in Africa. Like you don't even, it's like Kevin Bacon, you, you helped this company, which helped this company, which helped this company. And then you basically helped the pygmies, you know? Yeah. Like who, who would even know? Um, Maybe you should ask that as a question in all your podcasts. <laughs> so what's your degree to Kevin Bacon? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you, do you know yours? I don't know. I think I did at one point. Maybe it was three or four. I don't know. Really? Wow. Isn't it supposed to be six? Isn't it that everyone's at least six degrees? By seven. So, yeah. By seven. Yeah. So minimum. Seven. Okay. Yeah. It's no more than seven. And you know Kevin Bacon. Which, yeah. I don't know, he hasn't been in movies lately that I can recall, so maybe he's gone up to 14, but maybe there's some people that are the sevens these days. Maybe, yeah, could be. What comes after this? We talked about mastering your market, the mission alignment, your focus. What comes next? There's also making a map. So making a map of what all those ideas are is part of getting those ideas down on paper. So there's so many mind mapping tools out there. I also think there's a lot of value in using using uh, tactile methods to be able to get the ideas out. It could look like a team meeting in a room with yeah. post-it notes. You know, we've all done that before, the post-it notes on the wall or whatever it is. Um, writing things on the whiteboard, taking a picture of it for later to make sure it doesn't get erased. But sort of mapping things out as a group can be really useful. Yep. If it's something where, you know, you have a very small team, you can still borrow that same idea and just do it on a smaller scale. You can also use a mind mapping tool that you share with other people. Everyone could be at their computers um, and doing it that way. So again, you can find what works best for your, your company culture and for the people inside your company, but there's all these cool ways to be able to get the ideas down. Yeah, you know, sometimes you're right, like paper or dry erase board. Have you ever um, done dry erase marker on a window? I never have. You should totally try it. I feel like I was Dr. House 
um, I was at an office that had a big window and it was nearby enough that you could write. And you're like, wow, I'm writing on a window. A little bit harder to see, <laughs> but, um, but it's just fun. It kind of like, to your point, it gets you off of the normal surfaces you're on to kind of expand your thinking. But I love the idea of mapping it out and kind of seeing it all in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I like that idea at the window. I'd forgotten about that from that TV show house. That's a cool thing. I worked in an office briefly as a consultant and they, each office had one wall that was painted with that paint that you could write on. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, I've got that paint somewhere around here. I haven't used it yet. Um, I think you need a couple coats, but yeah, just just being able to draw on stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and and not your average average surface can kind right. of inspire that creativity okay so we've these are all and a lot of m's here too so we've got mastering the market mission alignment mission alignment or is there uh -huh. a double m there um and then making a map double m there um <laughs> what's next does it have m's um moving from brain to page and then the last one is marketing so then when you put it all together into a part of your marketing plan um taking all of that pre-work and packaging it up and figuring out how to get it out there. Oh, I love that. That is awesome. What, what's your take? I, I, a lot of things are, I mean, you're really kind of plugged into a lot of this. What's your take on like the future of marketing? Are there any shiny things that kind of have your attention or um, you want to take a second look at, or there's a lot of buzz out there. What's your take on the, the future of marketing, where it's going right now? I think there's, I think it's always exciting to see where technology is going. So marketing automation, what are people going to do in that space? Yeah. Um, the search engine tools that help you with keywords and with managing those campaigns are always doing something exciting. I also think it's really important to make sure that you're looking at what's working really well so that you don't jump ahead to the new thing too soon or that you don't jump ahead to the new thing and get rid of something else that was working. Because sometimes I find that it seems like as humans, we just really like things to change or we <laughs> feel like we have to change things in order to fix them. But sometimes the adjustments we need to make are less than we think. And sometimes we need to spend more time on maintaining rather than changing, like maintaining and perfecting rather than just completely changing something radically. Right. The whole like cat following the laser, next shiny object. How do you know when it's the right time to add that next thing in there? What's your litmus test? Otherwise you're just kind of jumping from buzzword to buzzword. That's true. So I think if you feel like you're really optimized, as optimized as you can be, and there's nowhere else to go with the platforms that you're on already and that you're already doing well, then perhaps it's time to add something else in. Um, but sometimes I've seen where people are really excited about something or somebody high up just wants to see something different. So there's this pressure to do something and then tens of thousands of dollars are spent on something that everyone knew wasn't going to work, but they had to do it to satisfy right. somebody who was the boss's boss's boss. Right. And then the challenge with that, sometimes I guess you're just going to have to do it. That's just the bottom line. But I think that, you know, it can save companies money <laughs> if they yes. listen to their experts that they have inside their organizations and then, and then think about, well, maybe it makes sense to, to do more of what we've got. So right yeah yeah that makes sense huh lots to think about you have a lot so much things to think about here um lots of I don't get hate mail <laughs> no 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 hate mail good stuff all good stuff here um my next question really is like who are you how did you gain all these experiences around writing and mapping and aligning with mission and all that take us back like little deb days did you always know you're going to be a writer and a marketer and that kind of thing well, a long time ago, my grandparents bought me a, an anthology of poetry. It was a very small, saddle-stitched, with a staple, uh, book of poetry. And I was just mesmerized by these poems. I began to write them, and that began my writing journey. I think I was in elementary school when that happened. So I started magazines. And what kind of poetry I, were you writing as a kid? Do you remember, like, what, the early Oh, they were about styles? my cat, of course. What's that? <laughs> Did you say what kind? Yeah, what kind? I was writing about my cat and all yeah. kinds of things, you know, that kids, I think I wrote one about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> uh. And were there certain styles that appealed to you, like they would rhyme or not rhyme, or they had certain pentameter type thing? 
Um, when I was a kid, I did not know what pentameter was. Well, actually, I guess I should have because in sixth grade, we did a Shakespeare play. But, um, but when I was eight, I didn't know what pentameter was. So I was just writing whatever. But I did like to rhyme. And I probably was absorbing the, the forms that the poems I was reading are in what's called closed form or, you know, formal poems. So they did use rhyme and meter. So I was probably imitating them. And I'm, I'm guessing I probably did without knowing it. But then I didn't really understand meter later till we, uh, we did Julius Caesar in sixth grade. And oh, I, was wow. a, I, I got to kill Julius, Julius Caesar. <laughs> so Death. yeah. So so, but you like to rhyme. So I was, I'm curious, because like, I remember being a kid and I liked to rhyme and I, and I, I got a sense that like is the, the, the number of, you know, sounds in one line versus another, if they were kind of equal, the rhyme felt the best and you kind of yeah. just got a feel for it. So this book, you were reading them and it just kind of inspired you to create them. Exactly. And then when I was in high school, I was, I, um, I led my literary magazine and I started the literary mag. I don't know oh, if wow. I started it, sorry, but I was in charge of the literary magazine in high school. And then I worked on one in college and kept writing poetry and studied creative writing. Then, um, in grad school, I also studied creative writing poetry at the university of Florida in Gainesville, Florida. Wow. And, um, and then flash forward to about, Oh, and I also put myself through grad school as a copywriter, writing about the gift fruit industry. So I always say that I sold a lot of grapefruit with my words. <laughs> the gift fruit industry? Yeah, the gift fruit. Like, does anyone have a grandma out there that would order them gift fruit? You know, like a box of oranges, there'd be some cheese, you know, a roll of meat, things like that. Oh, yeah, like those things. I think they're yeah. kind of good corporate gifts too, right? You get like a yeah. Christmas gift with like a sausage and some i don't know, apples or okay so yeah. the gift fruit industry you you put yourself through college writing for them through grad school so grad i school. had a yeah i had a job at a small advertising agency and so i wrote catalogs sales wow. letters and other kinds of marketing collateral to help pay for my grad school yep. wow do you like wake up in the middle of the night and have dreams about fruit and you're like no no grapefruit no i used uh. to and the whole front lobby it was a small office in Gainesville, Florida, but the whole front lobby would be full of different kinds of oranges. I mean, there's so many different kinds of oranges. There's honey bells, there's, oh. I mean, just navel oranges, there's different kinds of grapefruit. Anyway, it would all be there and it would really start to get smelly after a while. Not, not because it was really going bad, but it would just get so fragrant. And then eventually it got to the point where it was like, okay, now we need to get rid of this. And it was, it was extremely pungent. And I think for a year or two after, I just could not eat any more citrus. I had to wait a while before I could bring myself to eat it. I was so sick of it. So. Wow. Yeah. Surrounded uh, by citrus. You know, it's funny how you become an expert when you write about things, you know? Yeah. Uh, so interesting. So you're an expert. In wow. That, that is cool. So the writing, you just carry carried that through from early age just like you stuck with it undergrad grad and you're writing you know to pay for things and then so it's not like one of those careers well oh what are you gonna do with that and how are you gonna make money with that you were using it to pay for school as you were doing it I was yeah and I thought originally I thought I'd be a journalist of some kind a photojournalist or sure um, or you know, another kind of, you know, the text journalist, but I ended up falling into direct marketing, really liked it. And then when mm. I came back to the Washington DC area, I moved back into the direct marketing world and did a lot of work for different nonprofits in the US. So helping to make their direct mail marketing packages happen. So right. I did more project management. I didn't do as much. I didn't do much writing in the, in that job. Yeah. I was doing more like the making of it on the back end, all the different pieces that go together. Um, wow. So that was cool. And then somewhere in there, I founded a poetry magazine and turned that into an international magazine that's carried at different university libraries. Wow. You, so, is it still going on? It is still going What's on. What's it called? My, it's called 32 Poems Magazine. And my co-founder and I, sort of some, you know, we retired from it several years ago around 2013 and we turned it over. Is it 2013 already? Wow. Time flies. Maybe it was 2014, but anyway, a while Jeez. ago yeah. and turned it over to someone else, but we ran it for about 10 years. Wow. So you had an exit. <laughs> we had <laughs> our exit. exit. That's right. Wow. And it's, it's still going on to today and it, and it was in, or is in um, libraries of um, universities. 
around the world. Yeah, yeah. You can, uh, you know, you can get it at Harvard, Yale, Brown, University of Florida, my alma mater, of course, and um, George Mason in Virginia, all, all different places. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So you, you've sort of carried this all the way through to now where you're, you're, you're coaching execs on writing, you're coaching marketers, just people how to write better copy and zesty emails. <laughs> Exactly, because there's a lot of people who want to build authority. So yeah. I, I worked for some different places in marketing. I did usability testing. That led me into working on um, getting into digital marketing. Yep. And then I evolved into the SEO PPC work that we were talking about earlier. And then from there, um, from there, I really liked the writing and wanted to return to that and blend that with my marketing skills. So now I found a way to blend my marketing skills, my writing skills, and also my understanding of the coaching and consulting business to be able to help people who want to build their thought leadership right. and connect with more people and become sought after. Them seeking you as opposed to you're bugging them. That's great. Right, right. Because as someone with a lead generation background, you know, I, I try to even avoid saying that word in the, in the world I'm in now because I'm like, leads are people. Leads are people. Um, but I like to think about the ways that people can bring incoming inquiries to them as opposed to having to spend so much time on outbound. I think for a smaller sized company, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, of course, for larger companies, that wouldn't be a good strategy for them. It would be better to have both. But um, in most cases... But I feel like for a smaller size business, it's they find it quite refreshing not to have to do so much outbound, and they've never really heard of it, or they're not as familiar with the strategies. So, right, and, and all all ships rise in the harbor too. So if you're doing that authority building and the thought leadership, your efforts seeking people out too will be more more beneficial as well. Like, hey, mm -hmm. here's a copy of our book, or here's this, or here's that. So it, I think it all yeah. it all helps out. Yeah. Right. And one of the things I tell people all the time is that in order to create more, create more. So the more you create in terms of content, and I don't mean, I know there's also an argument out there, not argument, but discussion around quality versus quantity. But if you're creating good quality content in a consistent way, it really allows people to be able to get to know you better. It also allows you as the creator to understand better what it is you're doing. I mean, yeah. this can happen inside any size company, big or small, where if people are creating more content, they're going to learn how are people reacting to that. You know, if we take a drastic example, what if everybody stopped doing everything? There would be no learning, right? But if you create right. something, you begin to learn through that process of creation what's working, mm. what people resonate with, et cetera. Right. That makes total sense. Now, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Somewhat hypothetical, because I may actually have a time machine in Nashua, New Hampshire. And suppose I did, I'll let you borrow it. And you can go back in time to the beginning of your career. It could be when you graduated school, anytime you'd really like. If you would go to back and you advise yourself, kind of give yourself some advice, knowing what you've been through and experienced and learned in marketing and life, what would you tell yourself? Um, eat more ice cream. Yeah? <laughs> um, but in addition to that, I think I'd tell myself not to worry too much about a supposedly linear path in terms of my career. So at some point in my career, I thought, oh, did I do too many things? Did I try too many different things? But I think the beauty of that is that I have stood in front of a classroom and taught 18-year-olds without knowing how to teach. Nobody taught me how to teach. I just had to do it as a graduate student. Sure. So I figured it out as I went along. I basically built the plane as I went along. Um, yeah. maybe that's not the best way to become a teacher, but I didn't have a choice and that's just how they did it. So, um, so things like that, like if I had worried too much about being linear and sort of staying on this traditional career path of like, first I'll do a, then I'll do B, then I'll do C, I would have missed out on some of these opportunities that I think helped me grow as a person. Yeah. And that also added to my toolbox that I can now use when I'm working with people. Oh, I love that. Eat more ice cream. <laughs> and then don't worry about the linear. I know we can kind of all be like, well, if I do this, if I play my car right, cards right now and do this, and it's that almost like the academic progression. Like if I progress to here, then here, then here, it's like, well, maybe, or maybe you try just a bunch of different things and, and it's, it's going to be okay. And then you end up 
exactly where you want to be, where you're using your gift and you're making money doing it. It's right, awesome. right. I think we have that freedom too in sales and marketing versus if we're a physician, you mm. kind of have to hit these benchmarks at certain times and maybe even so, you know, with a legal profession. But I feel like with, with sales and marketing, there's a lot of leeway to, to take a, um, a path that isn't so linear if somebody wants to do that. Yeah, there's there's more room for creativity, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we're just biased, but like <laughs> it feels like you can experiment. You're not experimenting with a life. You're experimenting right. with uh, an email, uh, some copy, with a subject line, with a, a whole campaign um, initiative. And you're trying to help people at the same time. So you can really try to experiment. I, I do. I like the creative um, analytical combination that comes from marketing. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Well, this has been super fun. Are you off to do any hiking later on this week? Got any plans? Oh, Are you sheltering I in do place? Yeah, I'm probably going to go out for a walk this evening. Nice. And there's a there's a great view of the sunset not far from where I live, so I'll probably take that in as the sun is setting and be sure I see that and then maybe get out into the woods over the over the weekend or later this week. How about you? You know, I would love to get some hiking in. We're gonna, I'm going to bundle a family up. It literally just snowed last night oh. here in New Hampshire. And like accumulated too. It wasn't just like, oh, look at the pretty snow. And then you're like, where'd it go? It w- no, I like literally used my snowblower this morning. I had to go get gas for it and everything. And um, see, this, that's how it works. If I, if I have gas for the snowblower, it doesn't snow. But as soon as I don't have gas for it, it snows in all of New England. So all of New England can thank me for not filling up that thing um i should probably get a contract with like ski mounts to just not ever fill it up because we'll just get a ton of precipitation but that's uh, really interesting because yeah. you, you and i basically control the weather because if i don't have my sunglasses it will be sunny but if i forget my sunglasses it rains so you and i should just you know get together and create a business where we control the weather <laughs> oh my gosh imagine that two people with two simple requirements is there gas in this one little stupid red gallon container and are there sunglasses present and if if yay then this if no <laughs> great we'll go into business perfect um we'll, we'll put it in beta and we'll just take customers and see if it works right we'll kind of we won't worry about the linear testing we'll just open for business and then the results may vary i guess exactly exactly we'll have to think through our content marketing plan for that <laughs> yes yes we will go through all of the steps and then hope that the weather changes but you know knowing weather people these days when they say 50 percent chance for rain it drives me crazy because it's like really you're telling me it's a perfect coin flip thanks <laughs> thanks for helping i could literally have done that myself right, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well this is awesome you know where can people connect with you where you know, where can people find out more about you, connect with you, find out more about your company, some coaching, yeah. all that. I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Deborah Ager, and my last name's A-G-E-R. And you can also find me at my website, which is radiantmedialabs.com. Okay, perfect. And do you have Twitter as well? I do, but I'm not too active there. Not too active there. Okay, so Radiant, Radiant Media Labs and then also LinkedIn. And you mentioned you, you do a, a course every so often on writing. Yes, I have a five-day content writing challenge that I run several times a year. So if you go to my website and you sign up for the Zesty emails, I always send a notice there to let people know the next time they can sign up. Got it. And I found the Zesty emails by clicking on the nav, and then there was like one of the options was Zesty emails. Yeah. So cool. So get your Zesty emails, and then if you're interested, sign up for that class. Deb, this has been fantastic. A lot of fun just hashing out some marketing, learning from you, and all of this. Yeah, it has been fun. I've enjoyed learning from you too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can chat about this stuff all day and I love learning. And for those listening, if you learned something, and I know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, um, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to one or two or a thousand people by just sharing this kind of content with other people so they can learn from Deb, learn about the steps we learned about, aligning those goals and and mastering the marketplace and the mission and the focus, all these wonderful things we, we learned about. So definitely get this in other people's hands and be the one that was the one that introduced them to the content. Uh, fantastic. Deb, thank you again for being here and all the lessons learned. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me and thanks to everyone for listening.
Absolutely. Okay. And for those of you listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in a chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you, and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one.